0: Saying I don't have the time to do this, then that's basically you saying I this is not enough of a priority in my life. And the way to, you know, an easy way to thinking about it is, is you know, like I, w- I would be tempted to say I don't have the time to reply to my six med emails. But if you offered me a million pounds every time I did, I, w- I, w- I would jolly well make the time. You know, I now have a good motivator. So it's not that I, don't, I physically don't have the time. It's literally that I'm choosing not to make the time. So when people say I don't have time, that
1: is just almost never true. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Dr. Curious. In the day, I work a normal job as a doctor. But in my spare time, I've challenged myself to interview other people with interesting career paths, hobbies or side projects. The goal is to share their stories and to draw inspiration and wisdom for the rest of us. This is the Alternative CV Podcast. Hey listeners, welcome back to episode two of the Alternative CV Podcast. On this show, I aim to talk to people who have done interesting things or unconventional things in their lives, and I delve into their stories and try to pick apart um, how they got started, how they came to where they are, as well as any lessons or actionable points that we can apply to ourselves. Today, we pick up part two of my conversation with Ali Abdal. that's at Ali Abdao on Twitter, or aliabdao.com. Ali is a junior doctor. He graduated from Cambridge in 2018. He currently works in Addenbrooke's Hospital, which is the hospital associated with Cambridge University. And alongside his day job saving lives, he has a YouTube channel with over 200,000 subscribers. And he also runs a business that helps students get into medical school. He writes weekly articles about productivity, education and technology. And recently he started a podcast himself with his brother, Tame, and it's called Not Overthinking. That's notoverthinking.com, a podcast about life and the human condition. In this podcast, we talk about how Ali got started with his business and the story behind that and how he's grown it so far. If you haven't listened to episode one, by the way, do go and check it out and then it'll give you some more context as to Ali and what he's done so far. And it's definitely an episode worth watching and listening to. So on this episode, we talk about how Ali keeps it simple and focuses on his product, and especially when he's trying to build up his new project. We talk about keeping expectations low and how to balance the ideas of goals versus system, which is a very interesting concept that I'll leave you to find out more about in our conversation later. Finally, we talk about time and how we ought to think about it and why it's such a precious resource. So we've covered lots of things in this podcast and I hope that you'll enjoy it as much as I did. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Ali Abdal. So to take a completely different turn right now, I'd like to talk about your business. So for our listeners, can you explain what your business does? Sure. So the business is called SixMed, and essentially we run
0: classroom courses and online courses for students applying to medical school in the UK. So there's a couple of entrance exams that people need to take for this, the BMAT and the UCAT. And actually, uh, some international medical schools have started requiring these exams as well. And we also run courses for interview preparation. So that's what the business does.
1: All right. So how do you get started with this business? And I wouldn't say laptop, is that, is that there's a story there, isn't there? Oh,
0: yeah. So this was in about 2012. I was, it was in the summer holidays of like in between finishing school and starting university. And I was in the market for a laptop and I'd saved up 900 pounds from my tutoring that I was doing for the last two years. And I wanted to buy a MacBook Air. Um, So I saw that the MacBook Air was about 750 pounds with student discount, blah, blah, blah. But then I decided, you know what? It would be nice to get a specced out MacBook Air that has a few bit, bit nicer specs. So I found some guy on Gumtree who was selling a MacBook Air that was pretty specced out. So I went to meet him in Paddington Station in London with two of my mates who didn't really know anything about tech. And he, I handed over £900 in cash, and he gave me this laptop. In cash? In cash, yeah. You know, I took some cash out of the bank, because it was like, you know, a Craigslist type cash transaction. Surely a dodgy one. <laughs> Possibly quite quite dodgy. And then it actually transpired that, like, on, on the train on the way home, I realised that, oh, hang on, this laptop doesn't seem quite right. And it turned out he'd sold me the four-year-old MacBook Air, like, the original MacBook Air model, that was released in, like, 2008, and that was completely unusable compared to the latest 2012 web version. So then I spent about a month trying to get my money back off this guy and he was leading me around the block being like, oh yeah, I'm going to return your money. Sorry, I didn't realize it was the old model and just kept stringing me along for about a month. Um, and at the end of that month, my mom was very kind and she said, look, just forget about this guy. You're about to start university. And she very kindly bought me a, I'm um, a new MacBook here. We went to the shopping center and, and just got one. So I'll be eternally grateful to her for that, in addition to lots of other things. But at this point, I'd lost about 900 quid, and it was a real blow to my own kind of self esteem, whatever. This was like all the money I'd saved up for the last two years of private tutoring for like four times a week. So then I was like, okay, how do I make money? And I started to brainstorm some ideas in an Evernote document that occasionally I still look back on to this day. And one of the ideas on this was I can run a course teaching people how to do well on the BMAT because I did fairly well on the BMAT. I had attended a course. I didn't think it was that good. I thought I could do a better job of teaching. So I decided to run a course in my in my secondary school for the students in the year below, teaching them how to do well on this exam. And that was just before starting university. And then a year later, when I finished my first year of university, I'd made some friends. I had a friend who was tutoring at some other companies. I had several friends who were helping tutor for these exams. Then I just had the idea that, hey, you know, given that I've run this course once, why don't I just make a website and try and run the course nationally? And, you know, we'll just advertise it across the country. We'll run it in a few different locations and see if anyone signs up to it. And that was how the business started. And that that, uh, that first year of operations in 2013, we had about 130 students on our courses uh, across our five courses and made about £10,000 in revenue, which was just completely, uh, utterly absurd at the time. That's
1: insane. Um, Yeah.
0: And it just kind of kept growing
1: from there. So if you were to put yourself back in the shoes of young Ali Abdao back in first year of uni, thinking about starting this course, what were your expectations for it?
0: The expectations were very low. The expectation was that, oh, it would be nice if we got about 20 people to sign up for the course, because then we'd make... Let's say about four hundred pounds, and that would be a nice bit of pocket money to make over the summer holidays.
1: Exactly, like half the cost of your MacBook Air.
0: Exactly, exactly half the cost. So over two years, I would have recouped these losses. <laughs> All right. So you didn't
1: expect it to take off in the way it did.
0: Um, I mean, I did. I, I I had very much in the in, in the very back of my mind that you know what, if this takes off, it would be a really cool story five years down the line. You know, let's say I could maybe make. 10 times as much money as I lost from this laptop. That that would be a cool thing. But at the time I dismissed that idea because, you know, dwelling, you know, as Dumbledore says, it does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to
1: live. Okay. So I don't
0: like to dwell on dreams.
1: (laughs) So to what extent do you let yourself dream about how big a success it could be? And what's your approach to when you first start a new project? How do you set your expectations? How do you recalibrate yourself?
0: So that's something that i do for every single project i try and 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 squash my expectations to keep them as low as they possibly can be and generally the bar back in the day used to be i want this to at least break even so as long as i break even on the cost or whatever then i'm I'm more than happy these days now that i've had some level of success uh, with all these various projects i now have a slightly different bar I think often my bar is like, you know, if this makes a thousand pounds a month or even 500 pounds a month, then that'll be, that'll be solid. 500 pounds a month is 6,000 pounds a year and no one would say no to 6,000 pounds a year. So that's sort of the bar I have for new commercial ventures that I'm trying out. Can I feasibly see this making 500 pounds a month?
1: Okay. But often you have to put in a lot of graft, you know, in the early days. So how do you not let your mind run away with it, but at the same time, keep that, optimism, hope, ambition? I think one
0: thing that I've really, I've really benefited from is the fact that everything I've done has been really fun to to get off off the ground. And I think anyone who tries starting new businesses and things, even if it's something like selling donuts or selling t-shirts, if it's new to you, it's going to be really exciting because you're learning new things, stuff is growing, you've got some momentum. It's like an incredibly exciting part of life. And therefore it doesn't really require much effort at least for me and a lot of people I know in similar positions, it doesn't require much effort to keep the the train going because it's so exciting and, you, and you're watching something
1: grow. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I really like this aspect of learning as you go along because it really keeps things fresh. Yeah, absolutely. Right, great. So prior to starting 6Med, had you ever dabbled in business before?
0: Oh God, yeah. I mean, every year since the age of 11, me and my friend James from school, we've been trying to set up a different business. So... In year seven, when we were 11, we decided to set up a a company called UIA Academy. This stood for United Intelligence Agency. Um, And the idea was that we would make a website and we would teach teenagers and kids our age how to do like martial arts and things like that. So we'd have a forum. We'd teach things like martial arts and lockpicking and hacking and all the skills that a secret agent aged 11 to 17 needs to have. That's amazing. Inspired by the Cherub Book series by Robert Muchamore and the Alex Ryders series by Anthony Horowitz. So that was at the age of eleven, at the age of twelve, I made a web design agency. This was when I was teaching myself how to code, so I decided to make UIA web solutions. And I've actually I I, I recently saw my first web design, and it looks like the biggest piece of crap I've ever seen in my life. But you know, it was the way the internet was back in the, back in the day. Uh, at the age of at the age of thirteen, uh, I decided to try and make a game, uh, a text based role playing game. Uh, that was how I learned PHP, which is another programming language. And they h- jo- how did that go? Oh, that completely completely failed. It's, it was too big. It was too big a project. But it taught me the language. And so the the, oh, the okay. attempt to make this game, and it it, it was a really exciting part of lo- time in life when I discovered databases and what you could do with databases. To the point that in French lessons, I would use the back of my exercise book to plan out, you know, how I'd code this game. That was a complete myth in the end. And then like another one was uh, it was called Console Gateway, and it, and the idea was that. Uh, you would uh, sign up to a free trial of something like Blockbuster back before back when Blockbuster was a thing and like film rentals. Uh, before and Netflix. Then, yeah, yeah, before yeah. Netflix. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really old school. And then you would refer, let's say, 30 friends to also sign up to a free trial of Blockbuster. Blockbuster would then pay the company, i.e. I- me, you know, let's say £10 per customer. So that would make £300 of affiliate income. And then we'd send the original person uh, an Xbox 360 that cost £200 and we'd pocket the difference. <gasps> So that was the idea behind console gateway. And then the following year I expanded a little bit and none of these ever really worked. I think the most money I'd ever made was 50 pounds when a friend of mine signed up to four different accounts for LoveFilm, which was a, a you know success to Blockbuster. We're using four different credit cards from his household and that made me 50 quid. And I remember I was on a school ski trip when my mum called me up and she, and she was like, you seem to have a check for 50 pounds from this, this random company. And I was like, oh my God, no way. I'm, I'm making money on the internet. It That's was amazing. So, so, what exciting. a story. Yeah, man. What a story. So is that your latest one? Uh, that No, that was probably year nine. and then, And then after that, uh no you no, yeah, I think that was the latest one. That, that was IZool. Um after that we did I didn't really dabble in anything uh while doing GCSEs and A levels. And then the idea for the BMAT thing took hold.
1: So you've got a really long history in trying to start stuff. Oh god, yeah. Everything failed. I'd love to really get into how how far along you got with these projects. So starting a company is not just or, or maybe you can correct me on this. It shows just shows how little I know about this these these sort of things. I suppose it's not just you know putting a web page and then deciding to collect some information, sorry, some payments because you have to connect a payment system. You have to register your company. Did did all these things factor into the considerations back in the day and and even when you're starting Pmet? Um, so back in the day, the
0: the landscape of the internet was very different to what it is now. Back in the day, it was it was really quite hard to do something simple like accept payments online. These days, you have services like Stripe that make it super easy if you know any amount of code, or even if you don't know how to code, you can still accept payments online with loads of solutions. But back in the day, you had to code everything yourself. Um, the whole idea of registering a company, of like, I I don't think any of that ever really, ever really played on my mind in the slightest. My only thing was, you know, I know how to make a website. I'll put it on the internet and I'll try and make money from it. I did not care about any tax laws, any company laws, any corporation laws, any legal mumbo jumbo. And I think that was good because, you know, there really isn't much legal stuff you have to deal with when you're operating at that smaller scale. So I think the whole legal thing, the whole playing startup, like you know, oh, I'm a businessman. I have an officially registered company. I think all that does is serve to distract people from the end goal of actually making the product.
1: Great. So basically make the product. And I love what you said there because it's all just sounds so refreshingly simple when you put it that way. Just get the product out the door and then all these other things you can learn along the way.
0: Yeah. I mean, at the time, I didn't even call it a product. The word product only became cool a few years ago. At the time, it was just like, I'm making a website.
1: Oh, <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah. Great. So what advice, do you have for, what advice would you have for people who tend to get tangled up in all these things, you know, they they think about a new project and they think about, maybe they have a good startup idea, but then they think about the legal aspect of it and then making a website and, and registering a company and setting up a bank account and it all just seems so daunting the amount of admin they have to go through.
0: Yeah, so I can definitely sympathize with the whole admin admin situation. My biggest advice to people would be to just completely ignore the whole legal side and financial side of things until you start making money. It's only at the point where you start making money that you have to even consider getting a bank account. Like for the first year that Six was running, when when we had our ten thousand pounds in revenue, Six was operating from my own personal bank account. I hadn't gotten around to send to setting up a company account and then it started to take off and I was like, Oh gosh. And because we were we were busy with university and stuff, I just, just didn't make a company account. And this was a bit of a ball ache for our, for our Accountant to sort out at the end, but hey, we had ten thousand pounds in the bank. We could afford to pay an accountant a few hundred pounds to kind of untangle the mess from our from our accounts. So that would be my biggest advice. You know, focus on making something and start to actually make money from it. And only once you are starting to make money, should you worry about any legalities because you don't you don't really have to worry for the most part.
1: Oh, that's, that's amazing! So you got people to personally bank wire you money, or how do you, how do you, how do you work those things out?
0: Oh, so for the BMAT thing, uh, we started with Eventbrite, which is just an event management thing. So people, you you create an event on Eventbrite, you share it on your website and people pay and Eventbrite handles the payment processing and things like that. I see. These days, we now do it ourselves using Stripe, which connects to WooCommerce, which is a shopping cart solution for WordPress. And there's a whole long drawn out process behind the scenes. But, you know, we kept it simple initially. We just used Eventbrite. And yeah, they charge an extra five pounds fees for every ticket sales, but that's fine. You know, you're you're just getting started out. Who
1: cares? So I kind of sense a recurring theme here about starting simple and just getting something out the door and then after that making all these incremental changes and trying to build things out from there yeah absolutely and actually
0: the uh, uh yesterday i was having uh, i was having coffee with some a-level students who came to visit me in cambridge uh they came to the hospitals costa coffee so we had a chat there um and they were asking uh, they had this like startup idea for an app based around revision that they wanted to make And the problem with their idea was that it was just too complicated. And the advice that I gave them was like, look, guys, the format that this app idea is currently in, it sounds like a really good idea, but it's just completely unrealistic. There's no way you're going to be able to make this. Why don't you tone it down to 10% of what it currently is and keep it simple? Then you'll actually be able to make it and you can always add improvements to it over time. So I think keeping something simple and starting with the very bare bones, especially when you don't have any experience in coding or in making stuff, that's that's super important.
1: Uh, Yeah coming back down to the bare bones. Yeah. I really like that. So Ali, have you had any failures that you feel you've learned the most from or things that didn't really work out so well for you and, but you felt that it was very educational to you at, in you know, looking back on it 10 years down the road or, or more seeing how that has shaped you as a person and, and helped you. Um, Okay, so the failure thing
0: is 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 kind of interesting. While I've, I, I've definitely failed at a lot of things, I've also had very few expectations about, about most things. And therefore, I don't really consider them failures as such. I suppose the biggest failures would be those early attempts at starting businesses, which taught me how to code. Um, and I think it's a lot easier to teach yourself how to code when you have something that you're working on. Uh, rather than when people think, "Oh, I should teach myself how to code because it's a good thing to do," and they just follow a course on the internet, but don't, uh, but aren't working towards anything. I don't know anyone who's successfully managed to teach themselves coding without having a project that they're trying to make, you know, that, to learn coding for. So that, so those failed projects taught me, taught me all of that. I think as well when I when I lost all this money on this laptop, that really sparked within me the desire that you know what I need to I need to be able to recoup these losses. I need to make a bit of money. Um, Other failures, as such. I mean, SixMed did really well for the first few years, but then it started to the the numbers started to decrease a little bit. I stopped putting as much effort into it. I just lost interest in the business because it was becoming very repetitive, very admin heavy, and I suppose what I learned from that is that the importance of once you start getting some traction, the importance of getting a team and delegating things very early on. So I made the mistake of thinking that I could do everything myself. And yeah, maybe I could do a lot of things better than some of my friends could, but they could do it well enough. And there was a piece of advice that I read in a book that said that if someone if someone else can do a job 70% as good as you can, then you should delegate to them. Like, don't think that just because you, you'll be operating at 100% that you'll be better at doing the job. So I kind of wish I'd delegated a little bit more with 6Med. Had I done, it would have been less annoying for me personally to run, and I think probably would have done better. But to be honest, I had such low expectations for it. I still do. You know, I just like the fact that we can help people, we can have a bit of fun, we can run some courses. It really doesn't matter to me whether we're making 10000 or 50000 or or 100000 a year. It
1: just does not make any difference mm-hmm. to my life. So I, I love how this aspect of low expectations really helps you in keeping yourself grounded and, and helps you in being appreciative, I would say, of any measure of success which you get. I know lots of people who will get too carried away and would be disappointed if they didn't reach the goals which they, you know, they get caught up in, in their dreams and they don't reach the goals which they might have set for themselves. How would you counsel them?
0: So one piece of advice that I find really helpful is to not really think about goals. And I know uh, earlier in in this conversation, we were talking about hustle versus chill. And I said something like my goal for YouTube is to make one video a week. And when I said that, I was I I felt a bit uneasy about it because I never, ever talk about goals because I don't like the idea of goals. Mm. One video a week isn't really a goal. It's more it's it's more of a system. And this there's there's this idea that is becoming quite popular in tech these days, that's goals versus systems. Goals are I want to run a marathon, system is I will run for an hour every single day for the next six months. You know, it's 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 that difference between, you know, having having an having some kind of expectation, having some kind of goal of what the outcome is versus just focusing on the process. So what I think I do quite effectively is I just focus on the process. I don't have any goals with regards to subscriber count or revenue count. I mean, apart from maybe my 500 pounds a month, which is very, very loose. I don't really have any goals as such with subscriber counts or view counts or anything like that. All I'm doing is focusing on the process of I just want to make a video a week and I want to enjoy the process of doing it. So the advice that I would give to people who are very goal focused is, yeah, I think uh, there was an analogy I came across a few weeks ago that said that. Having a goal is like pointing your ship in the right direction, but then the system is what gets the ship to actually move. Mm, So, you know, just having the goal, it'd be cool to run a marathon. Okay. Now you completely forget about that because all that's going to do is hold you back. And for you focus on the system of training yourself to run every single day. So that's the advice I'd give to people who are too goal focused. And it's the
1: discipline then I suppose of running every single day.
0: It's a discipline. Yeah. It's like once you make that conscious choice to run every single day, you remove the optionality from it. It, It's something you absolutely have to do. And ideally, if it's something that you enjoy as well, then you don't need to force yourself to do it because you enjoy it and it's fun.
1: Have you ever done something that you don't enjoy doing, but then you still have to run every day and you still have to go through that grind? Yeah. So I think towards the end, like the last
0: few years of running SixMed, the company have been something I've not really enjoyed doing, but I've gone through the motions because I felt that oh it's it's just making too much money for me to worry and I apologize if I sound like an absolute twat when saying this but uh, yeah so it's, it's just been a thing of I, I don't enjoy doing this but I know it makes good money therefore I'm going to ha- have to continue doing this it's it's not been very fun, and I still haven't quite worked out how to reconcile this this idea of how much effort should I be putting in to something that I don't really like doing in order to make money, which I don't really need in my life because everyone knows that beyond a certain point, money doesn't bring any extra happiness. Um, this is something I'm still I'm still trying to work out. Do you have any
1: Do you have any advice? I don't have any advice on this because it sounds it sounds to me like you've been advocating this concept of. Doing things for the fun of it as well. So it sounds to me like you've really enjoyed doing your YouTube videos. You've really enjoyed making those companies when you first started out, and when you re- you've really enjoyed making Sex Mad. So you this enjoyment about the process has kept you going. So what happens then when you meet these difficulties? Does it does it all come and stuck? And if it hasn't for you, what? then would be your advice to people who might be in the situation where they feel caught in the cycle of having to do things they wouldn't otherwise want to do for whilst hoping that circumstances change and for example to get traction with in in their videos which they're posting to youtube so and so forth
0: yeah i mean i haven't really figured this out myself i think the the direction i'm heading with this is that the the most important thing is to is to enjoy it And there was a really good article I came across, well, blog, that Seth Godin, who's a famous marketer on the internet, he wrote a few days ago, which is the difference between saying, I have to do something and I get to do something. And I was like, oh, this is this is this is revolutionary. This is profound because the way I've been viewing my six med stuff is "Oh, I have to reply to these emails Oh, I have to update the website and I really can't be bothered. But actually, if I just changed my mindset and, and thought of it as I get to reply to these emails, I get to update the website, I get to run this business that would make it a much more fun thing just automatically just with one simple shift to mindset. So what I'm trying to do with Six Med now is that, you know, once once I make some time, I will actively start doing the things I enjoy more and I'll try and rewire my brain into enjoying the more mundane things. And now, I mean, it's at the point where I could very feasibly outsource, so I've I've got A friend of ours charlotte handling a lot of the emails we've got some freelancers who are working on the content i just need to build up a system to automate this as much as possible so that i'm doing the stuff i enjoy i.e you know making new bits of the website and making new content all of that sort of stuff so i really think enjoying the process is is the key thing here
1: yeah and thinking about i get to do this rather than i have to do that that's great yeah
0: good old seth godin what a legend
1: (laughs) just now in your response to that question you mentioned the word this concept of time and I'd like to ask you, regarding this concept of time, how, lots of people say, how do I make time for this? I'm too busy for this. I don't have time for this. Mm. What would you say to that? And I know that this is a tricky question because when I face this myself in, in interview in interview questions and people ask, you know, how would you make the time for this? I've I never really, I've never been able to give a good answer to that. And all I can do is just shrug my shoulders and say, well, you just got to make time. You just have to push other things aside. What will be your response to people who say, I haven't got the time?
0: Oh, that's an absolute classic. This is something I think about a lot as well. And you might notice that like in my my response to your previous question, I didn't say I don't have time to run 6MED. I said... What, I, I haven't yet made the time. And I think that's that's an important distinction. Like, I never ever use the phrase, I don't have time anymore. I just think it's a complete myth because unless you're spending 24 hours a day being completely, or rather 16 hours a day being completely efficient and productive, or unless you're like a single mom working three jobs to try and you know, feed the kids, most of us are not in that position. Most of us squander a lot of our time. Therefore, it's unfair for us to say, I don't have time. Instead, what we can say is, I am choosing not to make the time. And I think that simple shift is just not allowing yourself to say, I don't have time saying instead, you know, like, for example, I don't go to the gym as often as as I would like. I might in the past have been tempted to say, oh, I don't have time to go to the gym because I have to make my YouTube videos and I have to go to work. But now but now I've rephrased it as I am choosing not to make the time to not go to the gym because I just, I just don't care enough about it. And I've identified that it's a problem with the reason, like, I just don't care enough about going to the gym to do it on a daily basis. So for people who say they don't have time, that's step number one, don't think of it. Like, don't think of time as something that as something that's outside your control, because Mm -hmm. you are you know at at any given moment in time when you are wasting an hour of your life playing bubble spinner, that is at that point what you most want to be doing with your time. If something better came along, that I don't know, you were hanging out with your girlfriend, or you know there was a you know a sporting tournament, or you were hanging out with friends, you'd be doing that instead. So what you're doing at any moment is what you most want to be doing. And I think when we recognize that, we give ourselves a lot more power to decide what to do with our time. And I know this seems very wishy-washy, but I found this, this advice to be really helpful
1: for me. So would you then say that people who say, oh, I don't have the time to do this, basically don't have enough motivation to make the time to do that?
0: Yeah, pretty much. If you're saying, I don't have the time to do this, then that's basically you saying, "I this is not enough of a priority in my life. And the way to, you know, an easy way to think about it is, is, you know, like I, w- I would be tempted to say I don't have the time to reply to my six med emails. But if you offered me a million pounds every time I did, I, w- I, w- I would jolly well make the time. You know, I now have a good motivator. So it's not that I, don't, I physically don't have the time. It's literally that I'm choosing not to make the time. So when people say I don't have time, that is just almost never true.
1: Mm, that's a really good way of thinking about it. Ali, we're going to wrap up in a moment, but I just want to cover a few quick more things. A few more things. So you've clearly done lots of things with your spare time. Is there a process by which you come up with ideas about what you want to do next? Or is it a very organic process for you? For example, the YouTube thing, seeing that this is a trend and then wanting to get involved in it. How do you decide what is the next project you want to work on?
0: So one thing that I don't really talk about a lot is is that I am quite money motivated sort of if we go... If we go high up enough levels, so I'll, I'll explain that. What I mean is that when I come across a new idea for something, I want everything that I work on to be working towards this ultimate goal of financial independence, i.e., where I'm, I make enough money automatically, I make enough passive income that I don't have to work if I don't want to work. So where work becomes optional, and so any new like. Even the YouTube thing, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, OK, th- there are various opportunities to monetize this at some point further down the line. It'll be fun, sure. But, you know, it's all working towards this idea of becoming financially independent. And a big part of of you know life these days and, and business specifically is that the more attention you can garner on various different platforms, the more chances you have to monetize that attention at a later date. So, you know, people might say, you know, what well, what's the point of having YouTube subscribers? And there's no direct point right now. But let's say you wanted to write a book or make a website or something or sell someone anything. Having an audience of 200,000 people who will immediately hear about your idea is just going to be so much better than, than than having no one to hear about your thing. So this is a thread that runs through almost everything I do. How do I garner attention? How do I increase my sources of passive income? So those are the two sort of the kind of selfish financial capitalist motives behind everything I do. But secondly, there's another one of what am I optimizing for? And I want to be optimizing for happiness in the long term. And from what I've read, the things that optimize for happiness in the long term are A, you know, having having independence, but B, also having variety in your career, doing things that challenge you creatively, doing things you enjoy, doing things that put you into this flow state that people talk about, like Cal Newport's book, Deep Work, talks about this a fair bit. So ideally every everything i do these days works towards a the financial independence motive but secondly i think i'm thinking okay how will this add to my life to help me have a bit more variety a bit more independence so things for example like i really want to get involved in medical education and i'm thinking that there's a big scope for creating online video content around medical education that would be another feather in my cap there's a possibility for monetary returns down the line but actually more importantly it'll help garner attention it'll help me kind of get my own brand out as an educator and they'll help me do education and stuff, which is, which is like a fun thing to do alongside my main career in medicine. So I don't know if that answers the question, A, the finance aspect and B, the independence, happiness, self-fulfillment aspect.
1: Yeah. I can get the attention bit as well, because when you launched your podcast, you immediately had an audience from your newsletter and and through your YouTube channel, which you could promote your podcast on.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and I and one thing that my brother and I were discussing when we, when we decided to make this podcast is that we wanted the podcast to feed into the virtuous cycle of everything else that we were doing. So people might find the podcast and through the podcast, they would realize that I've got a YouTube channel and that my brother's got, you know, a website where he writes stuff. People might see my YouTube channel or his writing and then discover the podcast from that. So every new thing that he and I add to our to our caps every new feather in our cap is just helps the the, the sum of the parts be greater than the individual aspects i, I can't remember the phrase um the sum of mm, the sum of the whole is greater than its parts so yes along those lines yeah parts. yeah that one and the, so, so you know it's just like a classic gary vaynerchuk technique the more attention you can garner on different platforms the more that compounds over time
1: yeah great so you mentioned you read a lot Well, you didn't mention that. So so quite often in this podcast, you've said from something which I've read. Yeah, I don't at all want to give the impression that any
0: of my ideas are original. I literally just read things and then I repurpose them uh, to suit my own ends.
1: So can you recommend some books which have been revolutionary for you, you know, completely changed the way you think about things? Which books will you go to? Oh, so I've actually made
0: a video about this. It's called Three Books That Changed My Life. Number one on the list is The Four Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. Number two on the list is Show Your Work by Austin Kleon that I mentioned earlier in this video. Mm -hmm. Number three is a book by a guy called Derek Sivers called Anything You Want. And the subtitle for this is 40 Lessons for a New Kind of Entrepreneur. Uh, and I actually had dinner with Derek last week. This was uh, something I've not actually told you about. Uh, he 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 came over to Cambridge for a conference and we happened to connect on Twitter and we went out for dinner and it was really, really, really great. And I had a fantastic conversation. Just an all round great guy. But his his book is all about a new way of thinking about business, you know, based on what makes you happy and what helps people rather than what makes the most money so he set up a company kept it you know sold it for 20 million but he talks about how he didn't want investment he didn't try and grow it too big because he just wanted to help people and have a bit of fun and i think that's a really good way of approaching business so those would be my three recommendations for books that changed my life
1: and i can definitely see that those strands in your own personal work doing things that help people which are fun yeah exactly that's the dream yeah that's what it boils down to. <laughs> Absolutely. Great. What is one item for about a hundred pounds or less that you would recommend to somebody, anyone classic Tim Ferriss question. Um, so
0: things that have affected my life most recently have been actually purchasing uh, a dust kitchen, bin. yeah, like a decent dustbin for our kitchen. Yeah. Um, so this is one that you wave your hand over the over the lid and it it automatically rises. And the dustbin, which cost about forty five pounds, has been the single single biggest quality of life improvement for me and my housemate in the last eight months. Just because previously our dustbin situation was just not not very good, and now, you know. If there's, if something's out of place, it goes in the bin, and it's just amazing. So everyone should invest in
1: a good bin. And it calls to mind your podcast, which you in the podcast episode you have just recently released about why you should invest in a good dustbin. Yeah, exactly. And you can probably link link to that in the show notes. Are you, you going to do show notes? Do you have? I'm going go to do show notes.
0: Nice. Yeah, so you can link to that if you like. <laughs>
1: yeah. Very good. Okay. Great. Yep. Yeah. So thank you very much, Ali. I think. We are more or less at the end of our time here. Eh? Um, I've got a question for you, if you don't mind. Okay, go on then. Uh, w- w- where are you hoping to take this podcast? What's your What's your vision for it? So I think we've covered quite a lot of ground, which answers, which speaks to your question, Ali. I think I would love for this to be a podcast which helps people and which helps myself to grow as well. Gives me new skills about speaking to people, speaking to people who, who have interesting careers and interesting hobbies, interesting lives in general, and to get advice and wisdom for them. So about goals, as you said, I don't have many. I don't have any. In fact, I just want to take this as far as a good goal, continue providing a good product, good content, and get into the system, as you said just now, about of interviewing people hopefully every week and keep going from there. Nice. That sounds like a pretty good system <laughs> to have. Yeah. Great. <laughs> right, so Ali, um, maybe to wrap up... To wrap up, could you tell us all where we can connect with you, how we can find you? Oh, sure. Um, So you can check me out on my website. It's Abdal.
0: That's dot com, or just Google my name on YouTube or Google and you'll find my stuff. Feel free to follow me on Instagram or, you know, follow, subscribe to my email newsletter where every week I post random bits of snippets of life advice that I've come across that week and a few links. So, So you might like to check that out.
1: And of course, the podcast and the YouTube channel as well.
0: Oh yeah, there's a podcast and YouTube channel as well. Yeah, I forgot about that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and how big's the YouTube channel right now?
0: Uh, I think it's now on two hundred and seven thousand subscribers, which is two hundred and seven. Very exciting. Amazing. Yeah, it was on like one hundred and seventy-five last week. Um, but this this viral video has just absolutely taken five hundred forty-six thousand views on that video. Damn, the Amazing. algorithm is being good to that video. Yeah.
1: Right. Thank you very much, Ali Abdal. That's all right.
0: And I think you should probably remind the viewers to leave a rating for this podcast on iTunes because that's something that's important when you're starting a new podcast. <laughs> <laughs> or are you going to do that in the outro? <laughs> probably the outro. Oh, you're going to have an outro. Oh, that's good production value. We don't even have an outro for us. Well,
1: that's <laughs> good. Well, 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 what's the point of, of, of saying the same thing every time? I mean, it's, yeah, but...
0: That's that's a good point. I suppose it's like on Tim Ferriss, He has, uh, hey guys, uh, before you take off, I just want to tell you about Five Bullet Friday. And, you know, you've seen his little outro bit. Yeah. Um, the problem with an outro is I don't know. I just think it's nice to. <coughs> I don't know. It's good. I suppose it's good having an outro, but I I, th- I think it's a bit more personable if it's done within the episode because for the people who've listened that far, it's kind of nice that the call to action, the leaving a review comes from the heart directly from this conversation rather than being an automated you know with background music thank you guys for listening to this episode of whatever this is called please make sure you leave a review on iTunes I feel that's less less of a sell people will be less likely to do it than if I'd be like guys go on, please it really helps the channel it really helps the podcast if you just leave a review just you know go on your phone now leave a review that's, that that's partly why we don't have an outro
1: I think that's completely fair yeah I'm gonna do an outro now Bye. well a call, <laughs> action, really. a call to action really call to action yeah <laughs> Thanks a lot, Ali. Thanks for coming on the show. And for all of you who have enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe or leave a review. Tell me what you think. Connect with me. And this will help other people get to know the show as well. What else would you say?
0: Um, Thanks for listening. See you next week.
1: This has been episode two of the Alternative CV podcast. I sincerely hope that you've enjoyed it and that you've learned something from it. If you have, please share it with your friends do consider subscribing to this podcast and most importantly, leave a review because it helps this podcast get discovered and also picked up by the iTunes algorithms, etc. If you have any feedback about how I should improve or suggestions on guests that you'd like to see on this podcast, please email me at hello at alternativecv.fm and I promise that I will read and reply to every single one of your emails. See you next time!